Hello, Meg here, and you're listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. Listen to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. The group stage is complete. We have our quarterfinal matchups, and Steph Young is back here on the show to help make sense of it all. Before we get into it, subscribe to The Athletic for all of our women's soccer coverage and beyond. There's always a deal for you at theathletic.com slash full-time. So we might as well just start with the USA game since, again, that's that's where most of our focus is, but also it was a 4 a.m. game. My alarm went off at 3 a.m., so that way I would be ready for the starting 11 um, and then I was awake. I still don't think my sleep app has actually realized that I slept last night, which I did do, but that's always a great sign when there's just no hope of <laughs> actually sleeping a full night. Um, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> I'm still, so I'm losing full days, which is not great. I was like really wrestling with my circadian rhythm to kind of stay on something friendlier to Japan time. And I think two days ago, maybe it was three, maybe it was one. uh, (laughs) My body gave me like the people's elbow. I was like, no, no, (laughs) you can't do this anymore. You're too old. And just like slammed me. I sent you a really incoherent text. (laughs) That's the last thing I remember before I woke up like nine hours later, more or less back on East Coast time. And I was just like, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, it was basically like, I'm not going to make this late night Zoom with the U.S. Women's National Team, except instead of Zoom, you had written the word small, and my response was just, go to bed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it was 11 p.m., which is normally not bad for me because I'm a night owl. Um, It really shouldn't have been this big a deal, but apparently it was. And then I spent all of Sunday thinking it was Saturday, and then Monday I knew it was Monday, (laughs) but because my clock now is halfway between thinking like 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. is the end of the day. By the evening, I was like, it still doesn't make sense, though, because by the evening, I was like, oh, it's still Sunday. Yeah. So I I understand why, like, sleep deprivation is against the Geneva Convention. (laughs) I really do. Like, that's not a joke. I know, I know. (laughs) It's it's legitimate. I mean, there have been a lot of studies just in terms of what sleep deprivation does to you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not pleasant. Um, All right. So it is now (laughs) Tuesday. (laughs) The group stage is now complete. Um, We have our quarterfinal matchups. We will get there in a minute. But we we spent some time this morning writing an article about the outcome of USA Australia. There's really, I think, a lot to dig into with this game simply because it was a struggle. It was a real struggle, and I think that there is a lot of tension and resentment happening right now because what was communicated to us after the game was this was the tactical game plan from the United States. Like, yes, goal number one was to win. It didn't happen, but goal number two was not allowing Sam Kerr to get service. And they accomplished one of those things, but it took a real sacrifice (laughs) kind of across the board to make that happen. And so there is this kind of tension of this kind of conservative playing style does not jibe with what we know of this U.S. women's national team. And the group stage as a as a collective unit was not necessarily anything sort of fantastic by any stretch. So there's a lot going on 
you had a really good point about Vlaco being potentially galaxy braining his way through this group stage. Please walk us through that. Okay. Well, first of all, not to be a Pollyanna, but if this team is just executing the basics better, then in this setup, they're I think they're able to get the other half of their goals. First half, Sam Kerr controlled, done. Thank you, Julie Ertz. The other half actually score goals and win. Like, if Sam Mewis doesn't suddenly look like her passing range is one yard yeah. um, anymore, if, if you know, people can score, if a lot of things, then, you know, maybe this team takes that game plan and it looks a lot better and suddenly Vlatko's a genius for playing to negate Australia. Um, I do think it was a little reactive, but the galaxy brain thing is, you know, it's not for me to try to impute emotions to (laughs) Vlako Andonovsky. That's where miscommunication happens. (laughs) When you assume, I've read this, when you assume things about other people's motivations and intentions, (laughs) that's where you get into trouble. Um, But my interpretation is he possibly might have gotten scared from that 3-0 wallop from Sweden. And so now they're playing reactively instead of proactively. They're not taking control of games. They're more afraid of what's going to happen to them as opposed to what they're going to do to others. Um, But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe it's he looks like a genius when the team has plenty in the tank for knockouts because they didn't try to prove anything against Australia. They like they got the goals they needed against New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And Alex Morgan called it Vlatko asking them to be professionals. Usually when a player says we're professionals about it, it means they had to do some like distasteful or boring thing that was nevertheless successful. Like, well, necessary and successful. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I think we would be having a very different conversation about this game, even if Alex Morgan's goal had not been (laughs) ruled offside by the tiniest, tiniest of margins, right? So that also changed the complexion of the game because there was essentially a go-ahead goal that then got ruled off. And I do want to spend a minute on this because it was a pretty decent goal, and thinking, okay, like everybody's rewatching it in real time, going, well, that's onside. And then you get the the VAR check, and it is one of these kind of Premier League style, like, well, the angle of her shoulder, and <laughs> like based on how this defender is leaning, it's off. I think I'm possibly exposing that I haven't kept up with the details of the laws of the game, but I always thought it was a goal-scoring part of your body has to be in the offside position. I do think they updated it somehow, Um, but it just doesn't feel fair that because her shoulder was off, um, a part of her body that in no way is going to help her score, right? (laughs) If if the ball hits that area, she's probably going to get called for a handball. For a handball, right. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, EVE, Emily Van Eggman's like, foot is keeping all the rest of Alex Morgan on side. It does feel like VAR kind of sucked some of the joy out of the game. Yeah, it was. T- I mean, I feel like even sitting through 
um, VAR in France, which was really the first taste that we got at an international tournament, right? Those were taking a lot longer. <laughs> um, yeah. So that also, I think, kind of affected the flow of the game. But just in this one, it was at least they have gotten quicker in terms of doing the reviews. But yeah, this one, I think really, I mean, you can't deny that it changed the course of the game because if the U.S. goes up one nothing, I think also we feel better about a defensive-minded performance once you're sitting on that 1-0 lead. Mm-hmm. The other narrative I see is people like, people, you owe Jill Ellis an apology, but let's <laughs> not, like, have people forgotten let's try all the five-back from Jill? Like, she's had her share of really defensive, you know, unambitious formations. I also don't think that there's anything inherently bad about playing a defensive-minded game. Like, I really don't, right? And I think with a player like Sam Kerr, to have that goal of cutting off service, which, again, like, that was completely a success, right? So I think there's even been this concept of, like, not believing Flacco and Donofsky and the players saying that this was the tactical plan. This was the tactical shift. Like, people are saying, oh, they're using it as a cover because they looked really bad. (laughs) But I think... They can still both be not looking good at certain things. And again, like Sam Mewis, like a lot of the the passing issues, again, still coming up. They're still not being patient, right? Australia really did dictate, especially the first half, the tempo of the game, dictated possession, all of that kind of stuff. So you can have them not necessarily executing this game plan at 100% because also that is not the system or style that the U.S. Women's National Team is strong in but still have it be the actual tactical plan for this match. Both of those things can be true. Yeah. On the defensive end, maybe that's not anything new that they've been asked to do. They're like, oh, contain Sam Kerr or like this this really uh, intelligent, pacey nine who knows how to split a pair of center backs and in fact did so against Sweden. Yeah, we've done that before. But the way that they were being asked to attack and then like back off and not press high, not go bananas. Yeah, you can see how on one side, success, and on the other side, very weird failure. Yeah. Well, not, that, not that weird <laughs> now that we're explaining it, but you know, in a moment it was like, oh, this is weird. It just doesn't feel good, right? Like, And I think that's kind of what we were also trying to hit on in this article is it feels unnatural with this team. That's what it boils down. It feels unnatural because of every other bit of evidence we have about what makes this team successful and what systems work with this team. And I think one of the really good points about this too is the substitute of Lynn Williams, because I think in our, in our group chat by, I don't know, the 30th minute, (laughs) the consensus of the group chat was where's Lynn Williams. This game needs Lynn Williams. And then Lynn Williams does eventually get subbed in. And then it's kind of like, for what? Yeah, like we're saying this game needs Lynn Williams, but then you also have to be like, well, if you're going to have Lynn Williams, then that means you need to change the way that you press and not be sitting back and watching Australia pass the ball around so many times that it it severely inflated their pass statistics. <laughs> it's wild. They had like 600-some passes in this game, and I'm betting a good like 150 of them are just back there. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, a, a dog. My, came my dog you. just crawled into the into my lap for this podcast recording. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And and then they put Lynn Williams in on that right side, kind of like for like, and then asked her to do exactly what her predecessor had done right before her. And they were like, just kind of sit off and then, you know, maintain the integrity of the front line in that 424 and, you know, look for your chances, but, you know, don't leave the line. Yeah. Or like the line don't go with Lynn. So. Yeah. Again, just weird, weird vibes, really, this entire group stage from the national team. Like, none of these results have felt great. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I feel like we kept hearing a lot of questions about, like, oh, this this great bounce back against New Zealand. And, like, yes, there's a 6-1 scoreline, but again, like... There's just a lot of lingering questions. Again, Sam Mewis's performance has been bewildering in many aspects, but I think also we did see, Vlako Endonovsky talked about this after the game. He said, you know, like, we do have this kind of planned rotation, but there's a lot of focus from us, from a lot of people, about whether Abby Dahlkemper was going to be in the starting 11, and then today she was not actually in the 18 whatsoever. Rotation or not, I think Tierna Davidson today was like, hello, (laughs) I am a very viable option Mm -hmm. for you. So, you know, just a little reminder. Love ya. Mwah. Yeah. I think Doll Kemper, Roosevelt has been consistently a real bright spot in a midfield that has not necessarily looked the most cohesive, right? Roosevelt, um, Julie Ertz, again, (laughs) I think... um, Andre Carlisle had, you know, like, I really don't care for the entire success of this team resting on Julia Ertz's knees. But that is kind of where we stand. Your your NASA analogy from the last game day podcast as well, where yeah. it feels it feels a little a little dicey right at the moment. Yeah. I'm so brain broken because (laughs) the for what thing, like the whole time I was watching, I was just singing in my head, like low press for what? And then (laughs) like the synth kicks in because (laughs) of the. Right. Yeah. 424 for what? And then I just, I don't know. I had, I had a shocking amount of cold brew before the game, (laughs) but it still only got me up to like functioning, not actually energized. Yeah, it has been it has been a long group stage. All right, so I feel like we are gonna talk a lot more. Um, we do have this article on the way as well. I think which which sums up a lot of what we discussed here as well. But yeah, I I I think that it is an uncomfortable position for the U.S. Women's National Team heading in. To knockouts and we will we will go through really quickly some of these scenarios but first we can whip around some of the other results we've got sweden versus new zealand which is happening also at 4 a.m eastern time um i'll be honest i basically just assumed this one was in the bag for sweden and did not pay a huge amount of attention to it and as expected that is pretty much what happened but some big squad rotation for Sweden as well, which I think was fair to expect. But I do want to talk about if it was essentially an impossible task for New Zealand in this tournament. They just did not, between the draw, between all of the circumstances leading to this tournament, Mm -hmm. it was just, it feels like 
there was very little setting them up for any meaningful success. And now Tom Cermani is going to step down as head coach. And they're basically, they've got a two-year turnaround time until they host a World Cup along with Australia. I think hosting in 2023 is going to be a saving grace a little bit for that program. Um, And I think there's a larger conversation that we need to have eventually on the meta level about what can we realistically do to encourage parity between the haves and the have nots of the world? Because it doesn't, it's not just how much the Federation is willing to invest. Although that is a key amount, but it's like, um, what is the cultural relevance of soccer in the country? Um, what is the population? New Zealand is just under 5 million people. And the population of California alone is what, 30 some million people? Um, aren't there like three times as many sheep in New Zealand as people as well? I, I, a lot of what I know about New Zealand honestly comes from Lord of the Rings, oh, um, yeah. that time span, and also um, Flight of the Concord. So I feel like Flight of the Concord is probably not to be trusted factually about <laughs> New Zealand. Yeah. So, so it is a delightful program. I mean, you think about this, I was talking to friends and they pointed out like New Zealand, which has such a strong rugby tradition like punches far above their weight in rugby on the world stage. So if they had a similar footballing tradition, you know, with the commensurate like infrastructure, pipeline, funding, national interest in it, yeah, maybe they could also punch above their weight. But, you know, in general, what what do we do when when we have smaller teams that just don't have the same overall resources and then they come to the tournament and leave with zero points also apparently the ratio of sheep to people in new zealand is roughly in the six to one ballpark i think that's more sheep than the last time i checked so good job sheep (laughs) yeah (laughs) roughly six to one um yeah yeah, i mean I, i i definitely you know i think we go through a lot of these big picture conversations with every major international tournament obviously there has been a lot of talk about do you need to expand the olympic pool what do you like but new zealand is in a very unique and interesting position just coming off of this tournament and knowing okay like i think there is going to be increased investment before the world cup but two years is i mean that is a decent amount of time to turn a program around though yeah and god forbid there's not going to be another covid pandemic that keeps them from crossing any international borders to get meaningful time together in camp so yeah yeah knock on wood yeah all right let's move on to japan versus chile japan getting a result in this one with a goal in the 77th minute i think you know japan squeaking through to quarterfinals obviously a good result for them but also i think speaking to how favorable this tournament is with eight of 12 teams going through. Yeah, that's a a rough result for Chile because, you know, with um, with the group that they had, I think it was always going to be, you know, between Japan and Chile to see who was gonna kind of be in the bottom half of the, the table. But at the same time, Chile is a team that can I don't want to say surprise you, but 
um, they're I think a punch team above that, your weight, right? Like yeah, I, I yeah. think that that works well for them too. And they can and they can stay in a game, and they mm-hmm. have enough experience institutionally among players to not get too rattled if they go down and keep things close, which they have done. Um, so it is kind of a shame, you know, not to see them, not to be seeing more of them. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's good that the host nation advanced. That's usually a good thing for a tournament in general. Mm-hmm. It, it's just that I'm soft and I'm like, I wish we could all <laughs> keep playing together. <laughs> it's like, like the challenge cup, right? Every team advances and then we go to knockouts. Right. Chile and Zambia, please come along with us. Right. I mean, honestly, we should have just taken all of Group F <laughs> to the <laughs> knockouts. Sorry to to everyone else. Just Group F. You're everyone's in. Let's go. Um, moving on to Canada versus Team GB. Really looked like Canada was going to close out a game, and then they did not. <laughs> I I want to say for once. It wasn't necessarily their fault because this ball took a rough deflection off of, I think, Deanne Rose. And if it had not deflected off of her, it would have gone directly at Steph LeBay, which, by the way, you know, two games ago has to come out because she has some kind of rib injury. And then they put her in again (laughs) against GB. I would be like, oh, you guys don't respect us. But maybe she was, it was fine. It was just like a bruise or something. But they said it like it was detached rib cartilage or something like that. That can't be, that can't be pleasant. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that like four days later you should be playing 90 minutes against GB, which is probably your toughest competition in the group. Yeah, I mean, that was really the the true matchup of the group. That was interesting in that they also rested Christine Sinclair and I think Desi Scott for this. And it's like, what? Was the I can see it both ways. So they're like, we're most likely to get points against Japan and Chile, so let's be sure. And they got five out of nine points that way. And they're like, um, four out of nine points that way. And then they added the fifth one against Great Britain. Or maybe the last game, they see things like they're supposed to be planned rotation. They're struggling, struggling a little bit. Sinclair has to stay in because they're like, we need to ensure it. I, I don't know. I can't. The navigation yeah. of group stages where you figure out like what your your down point is to rest players is always really fascinating for me when it does not necessarily go in a <laughs> in an yeah. easy pattern for you to rest players, right? But I do think that kind of the traditional approach is you get your results in your first two games and then you hopefully rest the third ahead of a knockout stage, but that is not what always happened but yeah it was a very interesting thing of like oh Sinclair is going to play every minute of the second group stage match okay don't think they wanted that one (laughs) yeah there's an element of the whole like I know and they know and I know that they know and I know that they know that I know that so and so on yeah yeah do you want to talk about Ashley Lawrence and her service on it was beautiful (laughs) I can't believe it just popped right through that entire scrum I mean, I'd be willing to bet that she aimed it that way. I have a lot of respect for Ashley Lawrence. She's a fullback I would love to see in NWSL, but I think she's having a great time in France. And I think she's one of the best fullbacks in the world currently. I know that that, that was also a topic in the group chat, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you are trying to instigate me into getting into trouble. <laughs> I'm not trying bit. to instigate anything. Uh-huh. I, I, I was merely trying to alley-oop you into 
saying nice things about Ashley Lawrence. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, I think Ashley Lawrence is great. And I think she's clearly one of... She's one of the most necessary and skilled players on that Canadian national team. And yes, I do think she's one of the best fullbacks in the world at the moment. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Brazil versus Zambia was... We were, I think we were all hoping for a wild ride, but then it took like the worst possible version of wild ride between injuries. Zambia goes down to 10 players within the first 15 minutes with a goalkeeper substitution in that same play. Also, arguably, Brazil's only goal came from that free kick based off of the red card, but that should have probably also been a penalty kick because the foul did... It may be on, but like it pretty much happened within the box. So like some real, some real madness, but we had 14 minutes of stoppage time in the first half, which I honestly don't know if I've ever seen a game get more than 12, I think was my, is my, the only number that comes to mind where we're hitting double digits. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was valid, but mm-hmm. 14 minutes I, is a whole lot of stoppage time. I... Loved Zambia keeping this close with 10 on the field for most of the game. I loved them still attacking literally to the last second of stoppage. Uh, Banda had this like cheeky look where on anyone else, you might have called it like a desperation kick to try and get the equalizer. But she looked up, she kind of saw the goalkeeper and thought, maybe I could make this happen. And it was willing to attempt it. And because of her like, you know, previous scoring work it's easy to believe that it wasn't just a desperation shot it was legitimately her being like let me you know be crazy let me see if it works yeah let me see if it works yeah i i think that zambia played brazil super well i mean this was i think probably everyone was expecting netherlands and brazil to get wins today and to hold brazil to a one nothing result playing you know player down for the huge majority of the game, I think, is a real testament to their their willingness to, like, truly play. And, like, again, I think we, we spoke about it in the last episode about them. Like, there is no hesitation from them. They were truly, like, they were defending well. They were still pushing offensively. There was some real intent action at times, too, in that game. So, yeah, it was a very, just honestly, like, a very promising tournament from Zambia. I, I loved it. There was no sense of like, oh, we're going to come on last, so let's just try our best. They were just like, yeah. F you, pal. We're here to play our game. I don't, we don't want any like pity points or people being like, poor Zambia. We are yeah. here to play. Yeah. All right. Final, final match of the day, Netherlands versus China. This one, I think, had a real momentum shift because China had equalized against the Netherlands, and then they almost went up 2-1 and then the very next play of the game Netherlands went up 2-1 and then this game ended at 8-2 so um this game got Viv Miedema the goal scoring record at the Olympics now right I think she got she's at on eight goals eight eight goals yes in three games at the um so far and maybe she's gonna add more (laughs) we'll see (laughs) uh yeah I think that it kind of, I I take away more on China than I do from the Netherlands on this, though, honestly, because China's program 
is struggling and clearly the roster selection was not correct here as as well like they they had some changes from qualification to the olympic roster it's like why wouldn't you take the team that got you here to the okay um admittedly i don't follow china's national team super close but i mean look at the <laughs> look at the scoreline it's not competitive it's not competitive at all 8-2 against netherlands 4-4 against zambia like zambia nearly took them out and then the previous game was um five oh against yeah. brazil so collectively they got scored on 17 times mm-hmm. yeah i mean they came in last in their group yeah by a lot <laughs> and then i think going into this game maybe it's really unfair to zambia but we just didn't have a ton of info on them maybe you would have been like okay brazil china Brazil has the edge there, but like I think Zambia is going to come last in group. It's like no, <laughs> Zambia came yeah. in third off of goal differential. Yeah, yeah. I I think one of the things though that I do want to talk about the Netherlands now that we are getting our 2019 final rematch <laughs> for the quarterfinals. But what is interesting is like yes, they have scored 21 goals as a team through the group stage. Thank you, it for that contribution. But they have shown openings in every single one of these games. Again, Zambia, Banda scoring a hat-trick. Then they allow three from Brazil. They do allow two from China as well. And again, China almost had that momentum swing where they could have gone up 2-1. And granted, it probably would have ended in the Netherlands' favor no matter what. But there are openings with the Netherlands. But also at this point in the tournament, it's hard to feel good about any potential opponent. (laughs) For the U.S. Women's National, like, am I wrong on that? Because, like, before I think we maybe would have looked at, you know, a potential matchup of it was Team GB, Brazil, or Netherlands, right? Those were the three potentials. And the question of, like, oh, is there a preferred one? I don't know if there is a right answer, but looking at kind of the recent history of the U.S. Women's National team against the Netherlands, you'd be like, all right, well, I mean, they've played them well. But now it's... Like, okay, well, they played them well when they play, like, the U.S. women's national team. And this is a team that's coming off 21 goals, yes, allowing some, but scoring 21 and Midma scoring eight. Yeah, confidence booster. They're two different um, mentalities, maybe, out of these camps going into knockouts. Mm. Yeah, after the first two games when I was gaming out all the scenarios for the article on The Athletic about win, lose, or tie, and our opponents in quarterfinals, I really was looking at every single one and being like, I don't want to play any of them because (laughs) of the feeling that I have out of the first two games. I will say this. So it could have just been the graciousness of winning, but Tony Gustafsson, after the USA-Australia game, pointed out that he did appreciate that the United States showed some tactical flexibility, especially in trying to compensate for Australia's 3-4-3. And, you know, they did a good job of containing Sam Kerr, it has to be said. So if the United States maybe scouts Netherlands and continues to um, be willing to adjust and be professional, I guess, and then the pieces come together, right, where the players get over whatever this hang-up they have is about, like, moving off the ball into good positions for passing and completing passes... And like being a little bit more ambitious and a little bit less tight. Okay, sure. 
All right, so that's quarterfinal matchup number one. We've also got Team GB versus Australia, and I think that one is actually a pretty good matchup in terms of mm-hmm. potential for chaos, I think. Chaos or yet another, like... Yeah, that's fair. Like, 1-0, 2-1, maybe yeah. goes to penalties now because it's 1-1 at the end. Well, now we're in the knockouts and, and people are going to be, yeah, a little... Yes. I don't know. Sweden versus Japan, though, on the other hand, Ugh. that's a real uphill climb for Japan, I think. I know. I, Sweden, Sweden, for me, yes, the Netherlands, a lot of goals, but Sweden, I think, remains the team to beat right now. Yeah. I would love a Japan upset of Sweden. Again, I think it's good when the host country goes deep into the tournament for the tournament overall, even though we don't really get to have spectators at yeah. this tournament so maybe the impact of that is a little bit less i also just like the Nadeshiko, like so yeah um sweden is a pretty likable team too though for me not if you if unless you're like a total homer you just like they have a cast of characters that are also pretty fun to to watch or follow on social media so they've also just been playing really well and it's hard to not respect that like right. they they have yes like that game against australia was a little wide open at points but like for the most part they they have been the best team right so they far, didn't dark arts their way to a 3-0 win over the united states they just <laughs> outplayed us yeah and yeah. you just kind of have to be like all right fair play to sweden yeah yeah all right final matchup is canada versus brazil which i feel like Obviously, you know, in terms of this is this is going to be a real fun matchup for the two of us with your <laughs> Canada love and my Brazil love. I really don't know how this one is going to go, though. I would have probably felt a little more confident until <laughs> Brazil's result today. But also, you know, Dabinia started on the bench for them. So I think that was a factor for Brazil. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, like across the board, these are four really good games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been able to watch Brazil super closely outside of like catching the, you know, highlights and then seeing like 20, 15 minutes of their game here and there just because of the way the schedules work out and like With post our four right? overlapping games today, which is yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I have watched Canada relatively closely and I will say. Um, Bev Priestman has them staying organized and sticking to game plan. Um, and they've shown like they can, they have different people who can score. It's not just Janine Becky or like Christine Sinclair. Um, Adriana Leone got on the board today. Thanks to Ashley Lawrence, obviously. But like if they're able to spread the goal scoring around a little bit more, and then stay organized defensively. They get Desi Scott back. They get Christine Sinclair back. Yeah, I'd rate them against Brazil. I mean, Sinclair versus Marta, too, is just going to be yes, quite yes. the storyline, I think. Um, two goats, small dog lovers. <laughs> yes. Uh, old club teammates yep. uniting. Yep. No, it's what a, a joy. It's a good matchup. All right, we bid farewell to New Zealand, Zambia, China, and Chile. Um, We've got our quarterfinals. We get until Friday now (laughs) to kind of settle in and and reevaluate. So 
yeah, I guess that's that's where we stand as of Tuesday. I think my body is going to drag me back onto Eastern time of the United States. And I'm, I just feel, I know this is sunk cost fallacy a little bit, but I was, I'm just like, what did I do all that suffering for <laughs> in during group stage? If I'm just going to immediately be wrenched back. But at the, on the flip side, it means I don't have to go through another readjustment after the Olympics are over. So maybe I'll just, I'll just deal yeah. with it. I, I will say probably the U.S. has done a few favors over here by actually finishing second in group because it means that they are in the 7 a.m. Eastern time slot for quarterfinals, not, I think, the I think the other one that they could have been in was 5 a.m. So, you know, at least they are technically the last match kicking off of the day. So we have that I mean, going for us. It's still not an appropriate time for sports to go into your brain. Yeah. Um unless you're like some kind of sports junkie, even then. But yeah, 7 a.m. is like The bars might actually be open for this one. I think I saw a picture on Instagram of someone who actually was watching USA Australia at a bar. And I was like, <laughs> what bar was open that yeah. late? Did they just open for the game? Were they serving? <laughs> or I guess the question is, were they on the West Coast? And thus, the, oh, yeah. the bar just decided to stay open through the night, which, you know, in New York City would not necessarily be a a thing that we would not be used to. But yes, it is. It is definitely not necessarily a group watch friendly time. The other good thing about my body forcing me back is that I am no longer have the temptation to have a beer at like 10 a.m. in the morning because, you know, once your body's on third shift, you're like, oh, dinner time is about 9, 10 a.m. for me now. Right. And I want to have a drink to wind down. I turned in my article. I recorded the podcast, you know, with old sweater yeah. glasses over there. And <laughs> and now I want to have a beer and, and wind down and then go to sleep. But every single time I was like, doesn't feel good to, yeah, to have a, a tall boy at 10 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely, it's more like, okay, well, the, the story's been filed. We got the headline in. We did the podcast. Um, okay. So I guess it's nap time now. But I've also had, it's ten thirty in the morning, and I've had two packages of pop tarts as my two meals <laughs> since three a.m. So you know everything is suffering. I did um, toaster oven hash brown patties, like the mm. kind you get at McDonald's. Nice, nice. <sighs> Just eating like a bit, a toddler <laughs> over here. The things we do to cover this game. All right, Steph, uh, we will wrap it there, and I, I guess we will talk to each other again on Friday. Yeah, not before then. Don't contact me <laughs> until Friday. No text allowed. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to our Olympic coverage here at Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can follow all of this Olympic coverage at The Athletic. You can support our women's soccer coverage by subscribing at theathletic.com slash fulltime. And Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. And I will be back with you in your feeds ahead of the knockout rounds. <laughs> <laughs>